it was at that moment that I had a, an epiphany, and I went home and started crying, uh, talking to my wife. And I said, I have to make this picture. And she said, why? And I said, because I think I'm an interesting woman when I look at myself on screen. And I know that if I met myself at a party, I would never talk to her, that character because she doesn't fulfill physically the demands that we're brought up to think we have, women have to have in order for us to ask them out. She says, what are you saying? And I said, there's a, too many interesting women I have, I have, I, I have not had the experience to know in this life because I have been brainwashed. And that was never a comedy for me. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television on unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is the Mrs. Doubtfire to my Robin Williams, the Victoria to my Victor, my lovely wife Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. I don't know how I feel about those characterizations. I think this is the episode in which we admit that you don't actually exist. That I'm like, you're Tyler you're, Durden or something? You're just a funny voice I put on. Okay, well, wow, that's good on you, dude. <laughs> on today's episode, we're going to be doing our first double feature as we sit down for Nakia's first viewing of 1959's Some Like It Hot and 1982's Tootsie. And I think we need to plunge right in here and just talk about, first of all, why we're doing these two movies together. And it was really just kind of a whim. One of the things I did to prepare for this podcast is I went and looked at a lot of various lists and things that exist online of what the greatest movies of all time were, or movies that everyone had seen. And so I looked at the American Film Institute has this series of 100 years, 100 movies, 100 years, 100 thrills. They have all these lists of various types of movies, and they're they're far from definitive. Like, I don't necessarily agree with everything on these lists, but it was just one thing to look at. And I noticed that on the 100 Years, 100 Laughs list, number one and number two, respectively, were Some Like It Hot and Tootsie, both of which were about men dressing up as women. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about these two movies together and talk about why people seem to find that so funny. Nakia, how do you feel about men in dresses (laughs) on Um, film? Yeah, so I hadn't really given this any thought. Uh, before this assignment. Um, And, I mean, I think I've probably seen more films in the vein of male actors portraying drag queens or male actors portraying transgender characters Mm -hmm. more so than the male actors dressing as a woman for laughs or because they need to, you know for whatever reason, they need to have this as a disguise to get to whatever ends it is that they are pursuing. 
Um, so right. Like, and that's, I think that's right. an important distinction. And that's, that's what we're talking about today is that latter category right. of where it's played for comedy. It is men out of necessity or whatever plot contrivances are required <laughs> disguising themselves as women. So we're not right. talking about Tu Wong Fu. Tu Wong Fu or Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Kinky boots. That right, sort of thing. exactly. Right. And I and I don't think today, maybe some other time we can talk about transgender mm-hmm. characters in film. Mm-hmm. Um, which has a long and ignominious history. Right. So I mean I went and I looked at the list of movies that um they're various lists of you know male comedians dressing as women and their you know lists of films and so i've seen a few of them um including uh eddie murphy's the nutty professor i've seen mrs doubtfire um i've seen hairspray with john travolta as the mother hairspray is actually a good example of another comedic category where actors play female roles right and that's the Nutty Professor, I guess, is that too, right? That's... Right. I mean, yeah. So, like, the Nutty Professor, he is supposed to be a woman. It is not a man in disguise as a right. woman because he needs to do whatever. Medea, she is supposed to be, he is supposed to be a woman. Um, like, Norbit, I believe he's supposed to be a woman. Yeah. Um, but then you have films like White Chicks, which is the Wayne's Brothers dressing as women because they are, I have never seen White Chicks, but I think they're like undercover cops or something. And somehow they are passing as two white women, um, which is a whole nother level of suspension. Have you never seen White Chicks? Why the hell would I see <laughs> White Chicks? That, yeah, there was nothing about that. that I haven't seen it either. I just, it just seemed like something uh, you would have seen. No. Big Mama's House is another one where Martin Lawrence is, I think he's like a cop or an FBI agent where he goes undercover as a older black woman to protect somebody in witness protection program or something like that, I believe. Um, so apparently... Oh, he's not actually... A, I, I've never no, seen those. He, I've I, never seen that he's one. He's not either. actually a woman no, in Big Mama's house. Right. So I, went, I looked this up. He's actually in disguise as a woman to for some sort of witness protection thing. So apparently the cops are much more involved in dressing as women in a means to like <laughs> advance their cases than I thought was possible. But okay. Um, so that's a thing. Um, but then I've seen... It more on television shows. So you had like Martin, who had Shanene in the Martin sitcom. Jamie Foxx played Wanda in Living Color, and those were very much like men dressing as women um, and sort of caricaturing a certain type of specifically black woman. Yeah, I mean, this is as a trope. It goes back basically For, as yeah. far as yeah. performative comedy exists. Yeah. I mean, you can you can go back to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. You can go back further. You can go back to Greek myths. We see people. Dressing up as the opposite sex, right. and and then yeah, like television, like Flip Wilson, Flip Ray, Geraldine, Milton Berle, the Three Stooges did it, Monty Python did it all the time. I mean, it's yeah, it's just mm-hmm. a standard comedy trope. Mm-hmm. I think the trope becomes complicated when we talk about black actors in particular. Um, there, there's been pushback. Uh, around this sort of idea of black comedians feeling the need to dress as women in comedies and, and, and what does that mean? And is there a level of emasculation in those sort of roles in this idea that in order to make black men sort of palatable to larger mainstream audiences, they have to be in dresses. So while this is something that has been a piece of comedy performances for a very long time, I think there's a particular contextualization around black actors and black films. There are, there are sort of other questions around that um, and whether or not those are legitimate concerns versus, you know, some people say, well, 
I think Chris Rock actually said, you know, comedians dress up like women a lot. It's not just black actors. You know, you have people like Adam Sandler. You have mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire. You have things like that. So it's only when we... It's how Tom Hanks got his it's start. It's how Tom Hanks got his start. Um, but when we get into the black community, it suddenly becomes a problem. And is that the issue? Is the issue that, well, there are only so many films with black leads that get made. You know, if three of those, three of the five that get made is about black men dresses women for laughs, mm-hmm. is that inherently a problem? Well, the the Dave Chappelle thing is interesting right. because he has famously talked about this and he did an interview with Oprah where he described his experience on, I think it was a Martin Lawrence movie mm-hmm. where they wanted to put him in a dress mm-hmm. and he refused to do it. And he made them like rewrite the script and like <laughs> come up with something funnier because right. I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, and his response when apparently Martin Lawrence said to him, well, people do it all the time. His response was, well, then it's a cliche and it's overdone and it's not funny. So come up with something else, which is fair. It is fair. But he also used the word conspiracy in that interview. He said that he thought that it was was this larger kind of conspiracy around emasculating black men. Right. And then in light of his not terribly enlightened (laughs) recent comments. Transphobic comments. His transphobic bits in his routines that he just keeps doubling down on. His possession of the high ground mm-hmm. on that issue becomes a little shakier. Yeah. Well, because then you start having this conversation of, like, is this sort of argument of emasculation of the black man coming out of some sort of homophobic, transphobic undercurrent? Right. This, like, kind of desperate masculinity right. Right. and this discomfort with right. anything that challenges the masculine identity. Which kind of gets to the question of why these movies are so funny in the first place, or right. why people find them so funny in the first place. Well, and that's, I mean, if I were to have a problem with any of these films, and I'm speaking specifically about um, black male actors portraying um, black women, it's it's I, less about emasculation for me, and more about sort of what are we saying about the humanity of black women, and and is the idea of having black male actors portray black women a sort of cover? Because then it becomes harder to sort of say, well, this is sort of a racist stereotypical portrayal of a certain type of black woman. Mm -hmm. But it's okay because, well, Martin Lawrence is doing it or it's okay because, you know, whomever else is doing it. Um, Because those the women that they portray tend to be a very particular, like, they're usually very loud and just, you know, sassy black woman, old black woman kind of thing. It's just like, okay, so... So then are we saying that that's the only funny type of black woman? So when a, when a male actor wants to be funny, dress as a woman, he's he becomes a very specific black woman. It's not, you know. Well, I think, th- I think that's true in the films that aren't black actors mm-hmm. and, and black women. I mean, I think... I think that's part of where the comedy lies and whether the co- that particular comedy works or doesn't work in a movie is debatable, but is what a man thinks a woman is like. Right. Right. So, you know, oftentimes they will go straight to this, like, very ditzy, mm-hmm. silly place or, you know, that the, the portrayal of women is not particularly flattering. Right. And I was thinking about this because I was I was thinking about it in terms of, like, the power dynamics. And I think, I mean, that's that's one of the explanations for why this is such a comedic trope is that, you know, anytime you have a society that's obsessed with gender roles and where there's a power disparity, the breaking down of that right. is, is going to be a source for both comedy and drama, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then, so I was I was trying to come at it from the other angle and look at the comparatively fewer movies that are women masquerading as men. Mm-hmm. So we have like uh, 
There's a couple of teen comedies. There's just one of the boys. Which I love. <laughs> really? You're a yes. fan of that one? Okay. She's so cute as a little boy. <laughs> She's so cute. Uh, there's an Amanda Bynes one called She's the Man, yeah. which I haven't, se- I haven't seen that one. We can go back. Elizabeth Taylor dressed up as a boy so she could be a jockey in National Velvet. Uh, there's a Whoopi Goldberg movie that's terrible called The Associate, where she pretends to be a fat white businessman Never as a front for her company. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Barbara Streisand in Yentl. There's Mulan. So here's my point is that in those movies, it's all about gaining access to right. power that the women otherwise would not be able to have. Right. It's they want to join the soccer team. They can't join the soccer team. They need to dress as a boy. Whoopi Goldberg in that movie, she... No one will take her seriously as a businesswoman, so mm-hmm. she creates this fictional white mm-hmm. man to be the head of her company. So it's all it's all about gaining access to power. So then, coming at it from the other side, the movies in which the man dresses up as a woman is, to some extent, it's funny because they're giving up their position of privilege right. and power. Right, right. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I see that too, but I guess it's, it's definitely a fine line between, right, the 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 beauty or the, the sort of tightrope that I think people walk with comedy is you want to make sure that you're punching up and not down. Mm-hmm. And so with women portraying men, they're punching up. Like it's funny. Right. Whereas, you know, when we get to the portrayal of men portraying women, I think it gets a little bit dicier with, you know, how they are embodying what they think a woman is. Right. So do you actually like any of these movies? Are there examples you can think of that you actually like? I mean, like I said, the ones that I can think of that i liked were ones where they the actors were actually supposed to be portraying drag queens or transgender individuals i don't think that i have you seen nuns on the run i've never heard of nuns <laughs> on the run it's not a good movie i'm assuming this is men who dress up as nuns you got it wow yeah no i i have not i missed that one <laughs> but yeah like so i haven't watched any of the Medea films but that's one again the way she's characterized in commercials, there was just nothing that appealed to me about that. So I just never went to see those films. Um, you have Tyler Perry I also feelings. have problems with Tyler Perry in general and the politics of his films. I don't think he's always very kind to black women in his films, which then also makes it interesting that he does this character. Particularly dark-skinned black women, but that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Um, so, yeah. But I've seen The Nutty Professor. The Nutty Professor was fine. Again, I just don't get a lot out of this sort of, you know, old fat black woman thing Mm. that they do. Not my favorite. Okay, well, once again, we're just overthinking all of this. We're just here to watch a couple of comedies today. A couple, two movies that are considered the greatest comedies of all time. Though, really? Okay. (laughs) I actually think they're both really good movies. Okay. Now... I'm not saying they're not problematic in certain ways, and Mm -hmm. they may be more problematic than I'm remembering them, Mm -hmm. but I think they are genuinely good movies. Okay. Okay, so the plan is we're going to do our usual thing. We're going to talk about each one of these movies before we watch it, just very briefly, because we've got two movies to do today. I'm absolutely not happy about doing two movies, I gotta tell you. Why not? Well, because it's two movies. Right. Double your pleasure, double your fun. No, see, there's never any pleasure or fun, so... I'm not so much looking forward to two times the non-pleasure and non-fun. Think of it this way. Think of it as you've you've got two shots at the ring here. So at least one of these movies maybe you'll actually like. That is unlikely. We're we're doubling the chances that something is actually going to land for you. Probably not. (laughs) Just going to double my anger. 
I can't go on, Joe. I'm weak from hunger. I'm running a fever. I got a hole in my shoe. If you gave me a chance, we could be living like kings. I don't want to talk. It's about the Florida job. The Florida job? Get out of here. What kind of a band is it anyway? You got to be under 25. We could pass for that. You got to be blonde. We could dye our hair. And you got to be girls. We could. No, we could. I understand you're looking for a couple of girl musicians. Sugar cane. I play the ukulele and I sing too. We have been playing with the wrong band. Boy, would I love to borrow a cup of that sugar. What's in Florida? Millionaires. You must be quite a girl. Want a bet? <laughs> Ahoy there. Ahoy! I know why you want to stay here. You're after sugar. Champagne. If I were a girl, and I am, I'd watch my step. Nobody's perfect. Okay, so we've got two movies to get through today. I think we can move through the preliminaries pretty quickly. First up is 1959's Some Like It Hot, written and directed by Billy Wilder. What do you know about this movie? Not, I mean, I think I know the basic plot. Um, two guys are on the run from the mob, and as you do, you disguise yourself as a woman to get out of a sticky situation. If I had a nickel for every time I mean, I've had to disguise myself as a woman. I've seen the dresses in your closet. Red is not your color. <laughs> uh, but they end up on a train or something with a band of women. Um, and they meet up with Marilyn Monroe, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's about all I know about Some Like It Hot. Okay. Do you want to make any predictions about what might happen or the plot? Or One or both of them will fall in love with Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Uh, they That's will... a pretty safe bet for any movie <laughs> in which Marilyn Monroe appears. Uh, so your, your powers of prognostication you know, there it's, it's, are it's, not it's a stretch. It's a stretch. But I think one or both of those gentlemen probably fall in love with Marilyn Monroe. And no one will question that these two gentlemen are gentlemen. <laughs> Despite appearances, which is maybe probably really progressive. It's like we, really, you know, you shouldn't. If no, someone, no one will turn to them exactly. and say, yeah. "You should." If someone says they're a woman, then they're a woman. No <laughs> questions asked. I will tell you that I'm not going to tell you much about the movie beforehand, but I will say that the reason it's in black and white is because the color tests of uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon in the makeup were not convincing. They were frightening. It was a little frightening, apparently. Mm-hmm. So black and white, mm-hmm. people thought it worked a sort little better. Sort of full-on Monet situation there. <laughs> Just stand back and squint a little, and and then it'll work. Okay, so what's your what's your experience with uh, with any of the people in this movie? What's, what's your experience with Marilyn Monroe? I don't have a lot with Marilyn. Um, so I've seen her in uh, How to Marry a Millionaire. Mm-hmm. Where she I like wears, that movie. It's it's cute, and she wears glasses in it. And she's very cute in glasses, and I love a hot Lauren chick in glasses. Yes. And and Lauren McCall. Is it Betty Grable? Is that who the third one is? I don't know. Okay, I'm not good with names. Um, so I've seen her in that. I've seen her in Seven Year Itch, okay. and uh, she had a that sm- was also Billy Wilder. Okay, um, so that kind of madcap comedy style. Um, and then I've seen I saw her. She had I think she had a small part in um. Uh, all about Eve. Yes, all about yes. Eve. <laughs> yes, where she was, you know, ditzy in a fur coat. <laughs> right. So, I think that's it for my Marilyn Monroe. And and what and what do you think? Do you get the Marilyn Monroe thing? I mean, she's obviously gorgeous. Um, I 
in terms of an actress, I don't know that I've seen enough, but she seems to play that kind of flighty, sweet mm. role, which isn't, I mean, um, so I don't know. I've never seen her do anything sort of outside of that if she ever did. Um, but yeah, so I imagine it'll be sort of the same kind of breathy, flighty, sweet girl who doesn't realize it's two dudes in dresses <laughs> trying to hit on her. You're just you're just gonna judge people throughout this entire movie no. for not realizing I'm not judge. that these are two dudes. I'm dresses. not gonna judge at all. No. Okay. No. Nope. So what about the other two? I'm guessing probably Tony Curtis. You're not even completely sure who Tony Curtis is. He's Spartacus, no, no right? True. It is Spartacus. Good. Have you yes. seen Spartacus? I have not. I saw that okay. scene in Clueless where they're watching Spartacus. Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> so... Spartacus. So that's all I know about Tony. Far Tony too Curtis. much of your knowledge comes from Clueless. It, 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 a lot of it does. It's really, you know, you learn about Azadina Laya, very important designer. Calvin Klein, also very important designer. You know, it's very, very informative film. And then what about Jack Lemmon? Um, I've probably seen him in something. You probably know older Jack Lemmon. I know. I definitely know older Jack well, I'm Lemmon. Trying to think what Didn't he do those like sort of in... odd couple movies with the other guy? Yeah. Um, but I don't think I've actually seen them. Um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Have yes. You seen? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Glenn, yes, I did see Glenn Gary. Yeah, Glenn that's Ross. one of his all time. That's one of his great roles. He had trouble making sales. <laughs> Coffee is for closers. Coffee is for closers, man. Uh, okay. Well, one thing I will tell you going into this movie is uh, since we were talking about the Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. When we did the Maltese Falcon discussion, mm-hmm. this is considered the movie that killed the Hayes Code. Really? Yeah. So the Hayes Code was always technically a voluntary thing. It was the Motion Picture Association of America's kind of internal policing mm-hmm. and a set of guidelines. And for a while they got away with that, but the common perception was that if you didn't have MPAA approval, theaters would not play your movies right. and audiences would not see your movies. Right. This movie was such a big hit, and it was not approved under the code, that it basically the to- the code became toothless. It had been getting more and more toothless over the years. Right. And once this movie came out and was such a big hit and got Academy Award nominations, the code was pretty much dead. Smut cells. Right. <laughs> uh, this movie was, it was banned in Kansas. The entire state of Kansas refused <laughs> to play this movie. The uh, National League of Decency, which was a Catholic organization that protested everything worth doing or seeing. Uh, They came out against this movie. They called it morally objectionable. And they said it promoted homosexuality, lesbians, and transvestism. Those are all three good things. Those are all three very good things. We should be promoting those things more, (laughs) quite frankly. Especially in Kansas. Jeez. Yeah, Kansas could use a lot more all of, of those all things. Of that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just I'm just telling you that up front because I want you to prepare to be morally shocked. I'm gonna clutch my pearls. I think you might clutch your pearls. Tuck my junk if I had junk to tuck. <laughs> Sorry, dealing with a mental picture there for a moment. <laughs> I'm back now. <laughs> okay, I guess that's it. Let's uh, let's watch some like it hot. Alrighty. Hi, Jerry. Everything under control? Have I got things to tell you? What happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. 
Okay, during the break, Nikki and I watched the first part of our double feature, Billy Wilder's 1959 comedy, Some Like It Hot. Uh, I mean, this was so this was Billy Wilder, one of the great American directors. Previously, Billy Wilder had directed such films as Double Indemnity, Sabrina, Stalag 17, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, he had just recently done The Seven Year Itch, also with Marilyn Monroe, who he had sworn he would never work with again. And the following year, he would do The Apartment, which is, again, considered another of the great American comedies. That's on our list, too. We'll get to that one of these days. Okay. That's with what's-her-name, right? Um, not Shelby's mom, Shelby's friend. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to <laughs> reference everything through Steel name. Magnolias. First of all, Steel Magnolias is great. And I couldn't remember her name. Weeza. Weeza. <laughs> uh, Some Like It Hot was nominated for six Oscars, including screenplay, director, and best actor for Jack Lemmon. And it won one Oscar for the costumes. Because of Marilyn's dresses. So here's an interesting thing about that. Apparently, they fought over the dresses in that film. Um, Marilyn's dresses were by the great Hollywood designer Ori Kelly. Mm -hmm. But Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis were expected to wear off-the-rack crap, and they put up a fight. <laughs> they were like, how come Marilyn gets good dresses and we get this shit? Hey, we're all about equality, so man. So they demanded that Ori Kelly You don't want to stand next to Marilyn too. Monroe in a shitty dress, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Especially the dresses she were, she was wearing. Those were... <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> okay, so yeah, this this film is generally regarded... I mean, it's, it's at the top or near the top of just about every list of comedies. Every poll. Um, the Sight and Sound Critics poll, it's number 43 of all films all time, according to the critics. And that's the snootiest poll, <laughs> so that has some carries some weight that carries some weight but what did you think of it nikia i liked it okay i did are you surprised uh not entirely surprised but one never knows with you <laughs> there have certainly been other things that i expected you to like and and then i didn't and then you went the other way no i liked it it's very you know screwball comedy quick dialogue i'm mm -hmm. all about that so yeah i enjoyed it okay I mean, I think I just think the 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 writing was very good, and then the performers were sort of great at keeping that quick pace of the jokes. Like every mm -hmm. line sort of had these double entendres and double meanings in them, and I think they were delivered really well. Um, Marilyn was very funny. Um, yeah, so I really liked it, and it was sort of progressive in a weird way. So it's just it like, <laughs> I was rooting for you know Osgood and. Lemon to get married. I was like, yes, they, they're do sweet, that. They're a sweet couple. They're That's... very sweet. And you should get married thinking about, yes, can I be taken care of? That's really <laughs> priority number one. And Osgood was very sweet. So. Okay, let's let's back up and, and very quickly talk about the plot of this movie. Okay. So do you want, you want to recount it for us? Sure. Uh, we open on the Chicago PD being the Chicago PD, just recklessly leaning out of their cars, shooting into another vehicle, which, I mean, <laughs> there's a hearse. You always got to get a little political dig I in, mean, man. I mean, 
it's the Chicago PD. Like, it was four officers all leaning out of the car, shooting in the middle of the street. It's just, it's irresponsible. That's not... See, I watched that scene and I just thought, who the hell wants to ride around on the outside of the car in Chicago in February? The cops who want to shoot things randomly out of, a, out of the car door. That's, that's who that is. Um, so they're shooting into this, what seems to be a hearse. It turns out that the hearse is not really a hearse. It's a... Well, it is a hearse, but it's carrying a coffin full of whiskey, and they shot up the whiskey, which is just, you know, that's sadder than Goose's death. That was just really <laughs> wasteful. Don't shoot the booze. Don't shoot the booze, man. Everybody needs a little... It's 1929. People yeah. need a little drink. Yeah. Shit's going to get rough. Um, so then uh, we have the cop who's doing, like, the sting operation on the front of the funeral home. And that's where we meet our two protagonists. Sure. Joe and Jerry. Joe and Jerry, playing in the band. Musicians in the speakeasy. Musicians in the speakeasy. And we also meet Spats, who spills, who gets wine spilled on his right. Spats. Yes. <laughs> and then our story goes off. Yeah, so then Joe and Jerry end up witnessing the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It was rough. It was, it was yeah. There's a lot of people with guns. I feel like there's an unnecessary amount of people with guns. Spats takes care of some business. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they end up running off. They need to get out of town. They need to hide out. The mob's going to be looking for them wherever they go. So they join, as one would, join a ladies' band. A ladies' jazz band. Heading to Florida. Sweet Sue and her society S sycophants? Something like I don't that. know. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. So it is, sycophant is in there. I don't remember where it is, but yes. <laughs> okay. Billy Wilder actually said that, that, like, apparently people warned him. They were like, you can't start a light farcical comedy with a slaughter in a garage with, you know. Keep it light. With the mob <laughs> killing 12 people in a garage. But he he thought that was the key to the whole thing because he thought you you needed to have a convincingly compelling reason why these two guys would put on dresses and go <laughs> hide out in this band. And the threat of being murdered by the mob was a pretty good reason. Sure. So then they're on the train and they meet Marilyn. Let's talk about Marilyn. Well, I mean, Marilyn is introduced in a very just... That's an entrance. She's walking down the train platform in this beautiful black sort of skirt suit with the fur around the neck. And it's, she's all so wiggle and switch. On the tight side. All wiggle and switch. It's really <laughs> quite impressive. What I like about... Well, I mean, there's a lot to like about that scene. But I like that uh, we, we get a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen with the two men. Because they're both staring at her, as one would. Of course. But then Jerry, the Jack Lemon character... It's kind of just trying to figure out how she walks that way. Like, what's what's the secret to walking that way? Like, how do I do that? It's a skill. Not yeah. many women have it. I don't have it <laughs> at all. But some women do have it, and it is impressive when you see it. That's also the first time we see our guys in drag. Mm -hmm. And they are some rough-looking ladies. I mean, Tony Curtis actually didn't no, look that bad. he sort of did. See, his bone structure is really good for a man, but for a woman, it was just kind of like, oh, that's that's a handsome woman. <laughs> I read that they hired an actual drag queen or female impersonator to work with them, and this person quit and said, <laughs> said Tony Curtis is okay, but Jack Lemmon is totally hopeless. 
Like, I can't do anything with that. <laughs> that must be hard to hear. You will never be a pretty woman. I'm sorry. We're, we're going to talk about that when we get to uh, Tootsie so and Dustin sorry. Hoffman. But yes. So yeah, we see them for the first time. And again, in these movies, and of course it's a comedy and it's not supposed to be taken seriously. But I'm just like, who really thinks <laughs> that these are two women getting on this train? But again, that's very progressive. Like, you, if someone identifies themselves as female, then they are female. Mm -hmm. I will take your word for it and get on the train. So I, what I like, I like that we see there's an evolution that happens to how Joe and Jerry interact with these women. When they first get on the train, it's just pure lechery. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the fantasy that has sparked so many, you know, transgender bathroom bills and that kind of thing. It's like, oh, men want to dress up as women so they can be in the women's locker room right. and ogle. I mean, that's that's what they're doing when they first arrive right. on the train. Right. But then it starts to change. I mean, that's, that's I think, the fun of this movie is watching how all this gender role play and everything starts to change the characters. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Josephine in particular becomes... Like he initially lusting after sugar, right? But then develops, you know, a relationship with her and really comes to care for her and wants right. to sort of give her what she needs, and she becomes more than just right. Get, gets to know her as right, a female as a friend, right? Really, right. there's that scene on the train where she is talking about her history of dealing with shitty men. of dealing with shitty shitty men, mm -hmm. and she's describing him. Mm -hmm. She's really like you know. Making him realize what men, what he is like right. in dealing with women. Right. It goes sort of beyond that surface stuff. Like when they, when we first come to them in drag and I think it's uh, Geraldine who then changes her name. She's not Geraldine. Right. She's okay. Daphne. Right. <laughs> Which is an awesome, that's a great moment because <laughs> Joe becomes Josephine. Joe stays right. like, okay, I'm going to be the same right. person. But Jerry just throws himself yeah. into this new I'm identity. Doing it, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like, like the name Geraldine. Geraldine. I want to be Daphne. <laughs> Daphne's a great name. But yeah, so he talks about, you know, the difficulty of walking in heels and the fact that like, oh, I think I feel a draft up my yeah. dress and sort of this kind of thing. But then it gets to the deeper understanding of what is it to be, as, in, in as much as you can understand as a man wearing a dress, what it means to sort of be a woman and to be treated as a woman um, I think is where it gets really interesting. Um, so when they experience, which is essentially, you know, like sexual assault, like I, I just got goosed in the elevator mm -hmm. with this asshole. And so it's just like, I'm used to being, what did he, was it the bull? I think it was like, it's like mm -hmm. the woman is, you know, the red cape and the man is the bull. And right. I'm used to being the bull and now I'm the red cape and I don't like being the red cape. And so I thought that that was a really sort of interesting take on sort of gender roles and I think Josephine says something along the lines to him, to Daphne. Um, well, now you know how the other half lives. And in my brain, it's always like, you've worn this for like five minutes. Right. <laughs> you have right. no idea how bad right. this, this can is, get. This is C. Thomas <laughs> Howell and Soul Man. Exactly. Yeah, like, like, now I understand black people. Yeah, no. But I do like the line Jerry says. He looks in the mirror and he's like, I'm not even pretty. That, and like, he's like, it, that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> <It just> doesn't, <laughs> you're a woman. Right. They see a skirt. So they're going to come after you. Just like, so I, I definitely appreciated the sort of politics of it. That was mm -hmm. cool. Well, even before that, on the train, there's like 
moments. First of all, I like that when they first get with this band, they are way prissier and more prudish than actual women are. Yeah. They, which kind of goes back to that thing you were saying earlier about, we were talking about like what men think women Mm -hmm. are like. And they expect women to be all prissy and, you know. We don't mm. tell dirty jokes. Right. And we don't swear. And, yeah. Right. And then they get on the train and these women are like actual normal people. Right. And, you know, they tell dirty jokes and they're cruder than, yeah. than the men. And they can drink you under a table. And they can drink you under the table. <laughs> but then there's that scene where all of the women, like, swarm into Jerry's bunk. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, that invading his space right again it's almost this reversal of the almost like the predator prey right yeah relationship right. well because he's the one vulnerable in that situation mm-hmm. like so i think someone puts ice down his puts, back exactly that's he gets the moment very I was anxious about of, right. please don't touch me please again, don't, like, it's, al- <laughs> it's almost like a little sexual harassment thing <laughs> that's happening like, there so yeah yeah and then we like throughout the movie we see that kind of reversal it's like joe first of all we have this Joe putting on this Cary Grant persona yeah, to be the pretending he's a millionaire so he can seduce Sugar. But then the way he does that... Making her the aggressor. Is by make, by making her have to be the aggressor and he's the submissive, mm-hmm. almost asexual one. Right. Which is clever, you know, from a purely misogynistic... Right. I mean, it's a creep move. What he's point. doing is right. a creep move. Right, it is move. a creep move. <laughs> But within the context of the film and everybody kind of experimenting with these different gender roles, it becomes more interesting than that. Yeah, I didn't know how quite how to feel about that because it was it was one like, oh, he's doing something really terrible here. He's totally, you know, he's lying to her and, and deceiving her so that she can sort of fall in love with this ruse. But then at the same time, I was happy to see her be so aggressive and to, like, switch mm-hmm. the roles like that. I thought it was really interesting. And, again, she was in a, f- a f- bed dress. Jesus. I would have fucked her in that dress. That dress. <laughs> it was, like, the sequencing was... Wait, sorry. I'm going to a very happy place Perfectly right now. placed. It was, like, just the kind of cusp of her boobs. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, it's just... And then yeah. she walks. And you're just like, Jesus. Like, <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. So that was nice. That was great. Appreciated that. And in that scene, like one of the, the the things I like about the film, I think I mentioned earlier, was sort of the double entendre and the play on words and even sort of the way they sort of use their bodies in different scenes. Mm-hmm. And so in that scene where Sugar has him down on the couch and is, you know, trying to, quote unquote, coax him into, you know, wanting to kiss her. She kisses him, and then his foot lifts up in the background, yeah. <laughs> which is like a, basically an erection. Yeah. And it's just very little clever details like that that I thought were really good. <laughs> and going back to the dress. So when she's singing the song in the club, uh-huh. I think it's I Want to Be Loved by You. Yeah. And she's just, it's just oozing and just wonderful. But the way the spotlight is framing her yeah. on the stage, it's almost like a strip tease of sorts. It's like it goes just low enough. That you think you're going to see something, and then it kind of goes back up to her face, and it's just, it's very well staged. Mm-hmm. So. And I liked the sort of, the cuts back between Josephine, well, he's not Josephine at that point. Uh, what's his name? Junior. He's, right, he yes, calls Junior. himself Junior. Yeah, Shell Junior, Shell. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the scene between Shell Junior and Sugar, and then Osgood 
and Daphne right. you know, got doing kind of the tango. The high the comedy and the low comedy. <laughs> and I just they kept kind of mixture. going back and forth between those scenes, which I really loved. And then Osgood telling Daphne, you know, Daphne, you're leading again. I'm just <laughs> very sorry. Okay, well, let's let's talk about Daphne and Osgood. I love Daphne Because that's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it really is. They're a fantastic couple. <laughs> they should absolutely get married. They're perfect together. And it, it, it all happens in the space of that tango. <laughs> he starts out very reluctant. Yes. He does not want to be there with us. And then Osgood. he's into it. And then we cut back to him, and he's got the rose in his teeth, <laughs> and he's just having the best time of his life. And then that scene the following morning is one of the great scenes yes. in American comedy. He's elated. He's so he's happy. Shaking his maracas. And just, and just fully on board with this. We'll get married, and it's fine. And then I'll have, we'll just get divorced, and I'll get alimony, and it's totally going to work. It's totally going to be fine. That is a great life plan. I would, I'm totally I know there are some problems. Where his we're gonna mother honeymoon. might not approve. He wants to go to, you know, the beach. I want to go to Niagara Falls. We'll work it out. That's, yeah, Daphne slash Jerry takes, you know, goes the furthest in terms of self growth mm-hmm. because he's fully ready to be Osgood's <laughs> husband, basically. And then we get to the end of the movie. Right. Where everything is revealed. Right. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. Every, everybody's just perfectly happy. Yes. Um, I was reading a piece. This was, it was a piece on... BBC Culture did a poll, and this was number one on their list of comedies. <laughs> and Nicholas Barber wrote the piece that went with it. And he was talking about how, like, everybody in this movie is behaving badly. Yes. You know, Joe is trying to seduce Sugar and deceiving her. Uh, Daphne is first right. trying to seduce Sugar and then trying, trying to, to seduce money. Osgood right. so he can get alimony yeah. for the rest of his life. And even Sugar is trying to land a millionaire, right? right? She's done with sax players. She, all she wants is to land a millionaire. So right. in that scene with Junior, I mean, she's really in the wrong, too, because she's just really trying to, right. to seduce him and land a millionaire. And she lost him, too. She's like, oh, yeah, I went to conservatory, and I'm a part of this yeah, sort of upper crust exactly. society. And yeah. Yeah. So everybody behaves badly. But what what Barbara was saying in this piece is that, you know, in, in a modern comedy, we would have to see people punished for that. Mm-hmm. Like, there would need to be big apology scenes and, you know, and that this movie just skips all of that. But right. It says, he says, uh, some like it hot is too buoyant to be brought down to earth by such prissiness. <laughs> when Sugar learns that Joe has been tricking her, she runs straight into his arms. When Osgood learns that Jerry has been tricking him, he doesn't bat an eyelid. Nobody's but- perfect, is what he says. Exactly. <laughs> The message is that there is nothing wrong with faking it until you make it. Experimenting with a new identity can help you become a better, happier person. It can help you survive. And if you're lucky, you'll find someone who accepts you for whomever you want to be, perfect or otherwise. It's a really good love story. It it really is. Those are two very healthy couples going off into the sunset right there. (laughs) Here's another quote I liked from, this is David Eldridge, who wrote the essay that accompanied... Some Like It Hot's addition to the National Archives. Hmm. He said, If nobody is perfect and gender roles are fluid and flexible, then maybe every man can overcome his limitations by embracing his feminine side. Indeed, rather than making even conservative audiences anxious about sexual identity, Some Like It Hot encourages viewers to have as great a time as Lemon evidently does as Daphne, reveling in its liberating qualities. In this, it remains refreshingly relevant today. 
I totally agree. I think that's a great quote. Because so much of our ideas of gender are tied up in some really sort of toxic and limiting ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, have a little fun with it. Put on a dress. See where it takes you. <laughs> Go for it. Ladies, put on a suit. See where it takes you. <laughs> you might have a good time. Okay, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up on this topic. Uh, we got two movies to get through today, so we're going to cut our conversation a little bit short, and we're going to move on to a, a variation on the same theme with 1982's Tootsie. Pardon me, but is my acting interfering with your talking? You played a tomato for 30 seconds. They want a half a day over schedule because you wouldn't sit down. It wasn't logical. You were a tomato! A tomato doesn't have logic! So- No one will hire you. Oh, yeah? I'd like to make her look a little more attractive. How far can you pull back? How do you feel about Cleveland? I'm very proud of being a woman, Dr. Booster. Oh, I'm I... sorry. Oh, that's... Oh. Shame on you, you macho shithead. Don't you find being a woman in the 80s complicated? Extremely. I read the second sex. I read the Cinderella complex. I'm responsible for my own orgasm. I don't care. You cannot wear white to a casual dinner. It's too dressy. You taught me to stop hiding and just be myself because you're you're always yourself. I think Dorothy's smarter than I am. I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. Okay, so the next film on our double feature is going to be Tootsie. What do you know about Tootsie? Um, again, I know the basic outline. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is a struggling actor, I believe. And he uh, goes out for a role on a soap that's supposed to be for a woman. And so he dresses as a woman, Tootsie, and falls in love with his uh, female castmate. Where do you know all this? Where do you pick all of this Again, up? this is not like, I mean, that's pretty known. It is known, Khaleesi. Everybody just knows the general idea behind Tootsie, I think. Okay. Well, that, you know, supports my argument that you need to see these No, this supports my argument that are... I don't need to see it. I, I got the gist of Tootsie. Okay. <laughs> so, before we go into this, we should probably talk about the elephant in the room. Um, we, we debated whether we actually wanted to watch Tootsie, didn't we? Yes, we did. When we were first going to attempt watching Tootsie, the allegations against Dustin Hoffman had come out. And so we decided that it probably wasn't a good idea to sort of provide a platform to his work. And also just trying to figure out if we do that, how are we going to have that conversation in light of uh, the allegations? Right. So we, we almost didn't do it. We put it off. We had actually planned to do this several weeks ago. And we kind of put it off for a little while. I guess we ultimately decided that it might make for an interesting conversation to watch it, not through that lens, but keeping that in mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially since... He's been very vocal about how Tootsie sort of provided him with some sort of insight into being a right. woman. And he had all this newfound respect for women. And Right. There's a, there's an interview that I you've probably already heard, because I probably put it at the beginning of this episode, where he talks about how... Tootsie made him a better person mm-hmm. and made him a more enlightened man. And this was before 
Right. Most of the... Alleged. Alleged <laughs> incidents. I think in both of these films, there's a suggestion that seeing things, as they say in Some Like It Hot, seeing how the other half lives mm -hmm. is going to make you a better person. And both of these movies were made by men. Right. I think both of these films sort of posit that playing as a woman gives you some sort of insight into what women actually experience um, on, a on a superficial level and mm -hmm. then on a, on, a, on a deeper level. And that that then provides some sort of insight for the man who is doing, who's sort of playing dress up. Right. And how that sort of informs his life moving forward. That happened sort of narratively in Some Like It Hot. And from my understanding, well, from interviews, we know that Dustin then took that sort of learning, quote unquote, and said that it, you know, informed him in real life and in terms of, you know, what women go through, what women experience. And so he has a newfound respect for women. But in the case of Dustin, I think we're seeing sort of limitations of that because once you take the dress off, mm -hmm. you, you sort of regain your privilege as a man, your privileges as a man, does your behavior actually change? You know, how far does that sort of empathy go? Right. When you have, you know, your power back, essentially. Right. Okay, so the truth is we don't know how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> or how that will impact our viewing well, Nakia's first viewing of mm -hmm. Tootsie. I mean, this is a movie that I would have said was a nearly perfect comedy. And I haven't seen it in many years. But I do remember the last few times I watched it thinking just how perfectly structured it was and just how everything in it kind of works. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know now what watching it is going to be like thinking about these other things that allegedly <laughs> happened right. and whether that's going to influence my viewing of it. And I don't know how you going into it cold right. will respond to it then. I mean, yeah, I think I will definitely be coming to it with a, that's going to be the lens that I bring to it is I know what he has since said about playing mm -hmm. that role. And then I know in light of recent allegations that would contradict what he said he learned <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> playing that role. I mean, so yeah, that's going to be part of, you know, my viewing process. Okay, well, we're looking forward to that then. Sounds like a super fun comedy. <laughs> I am Dorothy. Dorothy is me. Nobody's writing that part. It's coming out of me. You are Michael. You're acting, Dorothy. It's the same thing. There's a woman in me. I'm experiencing Let's these feelings. Get away with it. Why can't you give me a special? Please, I could sing as Dorothy. I could use monologues. I feel I have something to say to women. Something Listen to me, meaningful. Michael. You have nothing to say to women. That's not true. I have plenty to say to women. I've been an unemployed actor for 20 years, George. You know that. I know what it's like to sit by the phone waiting for it waiting for it to ring. And when I finally get a job, I have no control. Everybody else has the power and I got zipped. If I could impart that experience to other women like me... You gotta listen to me, Michael. There are no other women like you. You're a man. Yes, I realize that, of course, but I'm also an actress. Okay, so we've just completed the second film in our drag double feature, which was 1982's Tootsie, uh, directed by Sidney Pollack. The film was a huge hit. It was the number two movie of that year behind only E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Who also dresses as a woman. <laughs> You're right. Interesting point. <laughs> this was a landmark year for gender swapping at the Oscars. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was nominated. Julie Andrews and Robert Preston were both nominated for Victor Victoria. Mm -hmm. Both playing female impersonators. 
Julie Andrew plays... It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> she plays a woman pretending to be a male-female impersonator in Victor Victoria. Okay. Okay. And then that same year, John Lithgow was nominated for playing a trans woman in World According to Garp. So, for whatever reason, the stars just aligned in 1982. Tootsie was nominated for a number of things. Um, Jessica Lang actually won Best Supporting Actress. Terry Garr was also nominated in that category. And then the film was nominated for Picture, Best Actor, Director, Screenplay, a bunch of stuff. Okay, so what did you think of it? I liked it. I thought it was cute. I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I thought it uh, raised some, some interesting uh, ideas about sort of gender norms and, and assumptions we make about women and assumptions that we make about men. I think in comparison, if I were to compare the two films, I would say I enjoyed Some Like It Hot more than I enjoyed Tootsie. Mm-hmm. And that may have just been the energy of Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. It's just a bit kind of snappier and a little more madcap, a little bit more kind of madcap screwball. Um, and I thought it was actually funnier. But yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. I actually, the one thing I did like about this was that, unlike Some Like It Hot, I felt like Dorothy was her own character. Like, she did seem like this sort of three-dimensional, real person outside of Dustin Hoffman's Michael. Did you almost forget that that I was, almost forgot yeah. that it was him. Um, so I, I, I did like that, and I... I I saw that uh, in the credits, they were actually billed as two. He was, he was billed <laughs> <Yes>. twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wonder if he got two paychecks for that. He may have, because that is male privilege. Um, so, yeah, so I did appreciate that Dorothy did feel like a kind of full character mm-hmm. to me. Well, he says it, he says at one point in the movie, he's like, I think Dorothy is smarter than me. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that. It's Dorothy is smarter than me, and I'm a, I'm a better man. As right, a woman, right. then at the end of the movie, right, that line. Then I am as a man. She's definitely a better person than he was. <laughs> well, he's kind of an asshole yes, at the beginning of the movie, he and, is. and actually throughout a lot of the movie, yeah. anytime he's not wearing a dress, basically. Well, that's that was the other thing is I'm like, is he actually learning a lesson here, right. or not? Because it really takes him a pretty long time. I mean, the way that he treats Terry Gar's character yeah. through the entire movie, he's a dick. Yeah, and it it I don't think it hits him until. He sees himself in what's is it Ron? De- yeah, Ron Dabney Coleman's right. character. When when he says something that's basically mirroring something right. that uh, Dustin Hoffman had said earlier right. in the film, which is just like, "Well, I never promised her that we were exclusive. Yeah, and it's better to lie to her than to you know hurt her feelings and tell her the truth." And so you sort of see the light bulb. And go Dorothy off. says, "You know, I understand you right. a lot better than you think <laughs> I do." Bunch of bullshit. So um, it's pretty late in the film that that sort of happens, um, and even then, he's still a little bit. It, it, takes him a little bit of time um so again we come back to that you know once the dress comes off you know what lessons are actually learned and what is actually um changing right i thought it was interesting that you know one of the reasons or i guess the main reason why dustin hoffman's character couldn't find work as an actor was because he was thought to be too difficult as a man Mm -hmm. but when as dorothy when he was sort of difficult and challenging it was celebrated Mm -hmm. which is actually not how that would probably go <laughs> it will t- at least it doesn't well, tend to go that yeah. way yeah so this is life. where rewatching it again and like i said i hadn't seen it for several years i still thought it was a very good comedy mm-hmm. the cast is incredible yeah I mean, that's just an incredible cast with you know jessica lang and 
uh, Charles Durning and George Gaines. I mean, it's just a fantastic cast. Bill Murray, uncredited. So I still thought it was a great movie. It was more problematic for me watching it this time mm -hmm. and not just because of the Dustin Hoffman stuff. Mm -hmm. Leaving Even leaving that aside, I found I had this fundamental problem with this idea that a man makes a better woman yeah, yeah. than other women are. Right. And then like, makes them it better takes, by it being It takes around. a man yeah. to teach a woman how to be a strong yeah. woman. Yeah. Like, that's a little bit problematic. It is. And that was one of the things that I was thinking, because like, uh, Terry Garr's character... I mean, she's funny, but she's she's kind of a mess and sort of just sort of ditzy and flighty yeah, and can't really control her emotions and, mm -hmm. and is all over the place. And then Jessica Lange's character is, you know, uh, meek and can't really stand up for herself or speak for herself and is essentially allowing herself to be completely devalued in this relationship with Ron until, you know... Dorothy comes on the scene and Provides totally, her, right, the totally example. the inspiration mm -hmm. to say, you know, you deserve better and you can stand up for yourself. So there is definitely something and there. And the Rita, the producer on the soap, mm -hmm. also says, you're the first female character right. on television who is her own person. Right. And you're a breakthrough lady for right. us, she says. And, it's and like, what does it mean that that yeah, is coming from a man? Right. Right. Yeah, there's definitely something a little bit problematic there. And there's also, I think, the question, and this is... Get we're, now we're getting closer to sort of the Dustin Hoffman problem. Mm -hmm. Again, it's that concept of what men think the problem is for women. Right. And we see that both in the character and in the larger context of the movie of what the problems really are. Dustin Hoffman has that, he has that scene with Sidney Pollack where they're walking down the street and he's saying, I think I have something to say to women like me. Mm -hmm. And Sidney Pollack's like, there are no women like you, you're a man. But he, he says like... I know what it's like to sit at home waiting for the phone to ring. Right. But it's about a job. Right. Not about a man. <laughs> but even so, it's like that's what he thinks a right. woman's big problem is. Yes. Is that she can't get a date mm -hmm. or that she's, you know, waiting for a man to call. Everything's about relationships. Everything's about, you know, their relationships to men. Right. Jessica Lang's character, all of her problems come down to her relationship with Ron. Right. Like it's just a very narrow, limited view of what a woman's problem is. Right. Well, I think one of his first scenes on the set, he says something along the lines of, you know, what trying to figure out what Ron was getting at in terms of how he envisioned the character of Dorothy. The character, what's her name as a character? Uh, Emily? Or Emily. Emily. <laughs> <laughs> how he envisioned uh, Emily. And uh, Dorothy says something like, you know, power makes women masculine and masculine women are ugly. Right. And so that's sort of, I thought that that was a, a very sort of interesting idea that this film was playing with it was the beautiful women could not assert themselves mm -hmm. in the way that dorothy could because dorothy was seen as sort of conventionally unattractive though she had many suitors um so <laughs> well i mean that's what jack lemon said in the other movie right <laughs> it's like i'm not even pretty right it doesn't matter right and actually and so i think we mentioned earlier uh interviews that um uh dustin hoffman has done saying, you know, how much this role sort of taught him. And so I went back and I looked for actually what he actually said. And, and so he does say something about, you know, it taught him respect for women, but then he specifically focuses in on what people would mm -hmm. consider conventionally unattractive women. It was like, and the idea that he had missed out is this idea that, you know, how many sort of what I thought were conventionally unattractive women 
have I missed out on having conversations with because I made value judgments based on sort of right. physical that, things. That he missed out on all these right. fascinating, interesting women. Which again, it's not Because about the they women. weren't attractive right. enough to draw right. him. And so but, the, so, but it also, I mean, it brings women back down to what yeah. is your use value to me as a partner? Right. Like it wasn't about, oh, they're, you know, I have some sort of insight about being a woman. It was, oh, how many women did I not fuck because I thought that they were ugly? <laughs> That's I. I need to change that. Yeah. I need to evolve. Uh, Terry Gar, who is, if you see her in interviews and things, can be an angry person, <laughs> uh, has talked about this, and she gave an interview to the AV Club, which we'll link to in the show notes. And she was not impressed either with this movie or with Dustin Hoffman's really? comments. And she described the film as pretty nice girls being taken advantage of by slimy men. They put a man in a dress and he's supposed to know what it feels like to be a woman. But of course he doesn't. Mm -hmm. I think what Dustin says is, I realize now how important it is for a woman to be pretty. And I wasn't pretty. Basically. This is still Terry. She says, God, that's all you realized? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, well. And then she says, don't quote me. Actually, quote me. And about her character, she says, I thought that she was caught between trying to have a career and trying to be a sexual woman, and it just doesn't work. At least it didn't in that movie, because it was made by sexist men. Wow. Yeah. Okay, then. She's got some chips She's on her feelings shoulder. feelings about that. <laughs> and good for her. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's a fair thing to say. It really did come down to more of the sort of lesson to be learned was about women should be beautiful. And if you're beautiful, then things are a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that is somehow a large, speaks to a large portion of what it means to walk in the world as a woman. And that is not the case. And considering the real life Dustin Hoffman allegations and all of that, there are scenes in the movie that speak to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's the scene where he's almost raped by George Gaines in the apartment. Um, But then there's also... There's like within the soap opera, mm-hmm. we see those storylines play. There's a there's a scene where Jessica Lange's in character on the soap opera is talking about how she went to the doctor's office late at night and was obviously assaulted or mm-hmm. something. And it's it's problematic again because she says stuff like, "I know I'm pretty and I know I use yeah. it and I shouldn't flirt with him, right. so it's probably my fault." And again, it's just watching stuff like that, and it's, you know, this is 35 years ago, but still, it's like watching stuff like that in light of these stories of women going to Dustin Hoffman's room and getting this same treatment is just troubling. And even leaving out the allegations, it it makes you realize how little the film actually deals with the experiences of being a woman. Right. Well, and it still puts the onus on women to sort of mitigate the behaviors Mm -hmm. of men. I did appreciate in that scene with uh, John back at the apartment where she says, you know, rape isn't a laughing matter. I was like, oh, that's a mm-hmm. nice little note to put into a comedy. <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> By the way, rape's not funny. Yeah. Even though we're sort of playing it for laughs here. Right. But... <laughs> well, I mean, what what exactly does he learn? He learns that he very much loves Julie. Is that her name? Yes. yes. <laughs> he very much loves Julie. Um, yeah, I mean, they sort of try to hint at he- growth. Um, he holds Julie's daughter 
and I think like you know sort of caresses. And yeah, so just sort of, that is like know, an awakening of right, his feminine side scene because there's learning. in the beginning of, in the very first scene, you wouldn't party, even recognize the baby, right? Yeah, Terry Gar like, tries to <laughs> hand a baby to him and he won't even look at it. <laughs> So I think it's supposed to be those sorts of things. And he asks questions. I think he's in a meeting with his agent and he's talking about, oh, there are all these good people involved and I don't want to hurt anyone. And his agent's like, well, who are you? You never used to care right, about people. Since you when never you used care to about ask about anything. Feelings. So I think that there's, you know, little bits here and there that we're supposed to take away as, you know, this great awakening that has happened. Um, I do appreciate, though, at the end that he says, you know, I need to learn how to be Dorothy outside of the dress. Right. I need to learn to do it without the dress. Right. Right. So recognizing that, you know, it's something that he has to work on. It's something it's like I need to make conscious efforts to sort of. And but then we so we get back to this thing with me (laughs) where like when we when around this whole sort of hashtag me Too conversation and, and stories of sexual assault and you have men who, um, in an effort to, to to sort of assert themselves as allies, say, or either defend themselves against allegations, they say, well, I couldn't possibly because I have daughters, or I couldn't possibly because I have a right. mother, or, or in this instance, I couldn't possibly because, you know, I played a woman once and I wore a dress. And so it's like this idea that you have to literally be in someone's shoes, or you have to sort of have some sort of proximity to a woman in order to possess any empathy for mm. what she may be experiencing in the world, I think is a little bit troubling because then it, it becomes too easy to uh, excuse those who don't necessarily have those connections or haven't had those experiences. Well, I don't have a daughter, so right. the hell do I know? Right. <laughs> you know? It's like, I've never worn a dress, so what the hell do I know? And so I just think that that's, that gets dicey. Well, there. we also, we also just know that it's not true. Right. It also, right. Exactly. It is not true. And, there are, everybody right. has a mom and everybody right. <laughs> That doesn't mean shit. Exactly. Right. There's also an interesting line, I think, and you referenced it earlier when he's walking down the street with Jack uh, saying, you know, I understand woman. He says, I think he says something like, there's a woman in me, which is, again, it's like this idea that being, you know, empathetic, being able to listen, being able to sort of uh, recognize when there's inequality happening, Mm -hmm. either, you know, for in this case, gender inequality all of that is inherent to women and womanhood versus just being something that a good person has or possesses. So it's gendering these sort of traits, which I that I think should just be human traits. Human traits, right? It's it's setting up that binary right. in which women are exactly. good and compassionate, right, and kind and loving, and men are scummy, and, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a problem. I find it interesting that Sandy doesn't get any kind of apology or reconciliation scene. No. After the big reveal, we never see Sandy again. No. He go he goes and apologizes to Les, the Charles Durning character. Well, he had to get the and ring. And he goes back. and apologizes to <laughs> Julie. We never see any reconciliation scene with Terry Gar's character. No. Who he has treated really yeah. badly. Yeah. She got the shit in. I mean, he only slept with her in the first place. To cover the fact that he, he was, was gonna take her dress, trying, <laughs> trying on her dress while she was in the shower, yeah. and his answer to get out of that was, "Oh, let's have sex." And then he lies to her constantly throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie, right up until the end. Right. And yeah, they're supposed to be best friends. They've known each other. We never see that scene. Right. 
And that's, a, again, it's like, just as a friend, they've been friends for like six years. Mm-hmm. Just as a friend, you would expect someone to treat you kinder and have right. more respect for you. Right. Not as a, oh, this is a man treating a woman poorly, but you're treating your friend like shit. Not a fan of Gina Davis being in her underwear for pretty much <laughs> most of the movie. Yeah, she has, that was pretty much her role, yeah. was to be in the dressing room. In her underwear. In her skimpy little bra Just panties. standing around in her underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was her first role. That was that makes it okay. No, <laughs> no, not at all. If anything, that's a problem within the Hollywood system of like, oh, well, this is your first role, and we just think you're pretty, so just go stand there in your underwear. Ironically, I read something that said she uh, she did an interview on Jimmy Kimmel or something a few years ago where she said Dustin Hoffman, because that was her first movie. Dustin Hoffman counseled her on how to handle the fact that she was going to get hit on and really harassed by everyone she ran into. They could have given her some clothes that may have <laughs> helped that situation a little bit. Maybe. Don't have her in her underwear for half the movie. Fair point. But good on you for being a mentor. All right, what else? I mean, Dorothy's politics outside of her feminist leanings on the set were a little bit conservative. Yeah. When the whole, when uh, the phone is ringing, but she doesn't, he doesn't want Bill Murray's character to answer the phone because he doesn't want someone to think that Dorothy's staying mm-hmm. with some random dude because right. well, Dorothy would never just be staying in an apartment with some man. What would people think of me? And it's just like, oh, that's interesting. So, mm-hmm. and then again, it's like, is that because Dorothy looks like Dorothy? Uh, would there be a problem if Dorothy looked like Terry Garr or Jessica Lange? Right. Yeah, and it kind of comes back to that thing we were talking about earlier with some like it hot, where when when men imitate women, they go to this very prissy mm-hmm. place because yeah, he is Dorothy. Apart from being outspoken on the set, is a very old fashioned. Yes. I mean, that's what Les likes about her, right. right? He sees her as a, and he has that speech in which you know, a very anti feminist right. speech right. about men are men and women are women and shouldn't try to be the other roosters can't lay eggs right and she just nods along with all of that Mm -hmm. she doesn't say well actually right you know which i guess kind of makes sense because i don't think michael dorsey is particularly a feminist no he definitely is not (laughs) no (laughs) i mean he is an old-fashioned man he probably agrees with a lot of what les says Mm -hmm. so He's not really being a feminist when he's being Dorothy. He's being... He's playing... He's being the same man he's always been, arguing with directors and stuff. Because it's happening to him. Right. Because I don't want to be kissed if I don't want to be kissed. Right, And I don't exactly. want to call me sweetheart because I am a man and you're not going to do that. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, I guess in a sense, yeah, Dorothy is... What Dorothy is doing on set is more about sort of protecting the privileges that Michael has been used to as a man. Mm-hmm. And it's just being voice through this this woman right but he becomes this feminist icon for the entire country right apparently yeah yeah (laughs) it reminds me a little like you you have talked before when we've talked about other stuff about this like how white people think that if they were black during the time of slavery oh they would have shut that shit down exactly they would (laughs) have I would have never been a slave, bitch. <laughs> Please. So that's what this kind of reminded me of, because it's like, it's a man saying, well, if I were a woman, right. I wouldn't put up with that shit. Right. You know, 
I'd go in and instantly become a hero to all other women. Right. Yeah. And what you don't realize is that a lot of women don't put up with that shit, and then they lose their jobs, mm-hmm. or they get, you know, assaulted or something. It is not... Well, and that I think Terry Gar is probably one of those women, yeah. and she has not worked a lot over right. the years. Right. So, and I don't I don't know anything about Terry Gar's life, I'm not saying, but I just wonder about that. Mm-hmm. That when she calls out shit like this in the AV club, <laughs> she's probably not getting a call to work on Dustin Hoffman's next movie. All right, you want to talk about any of the performances? Um, Like I said, I think Dustin Hoffman does a great job making Dorothy sort of her own person. Mm -hmm. Um, I really did enjoy that. much more likable than... Much more likable than Michael. Um, Like, I have trouble picturing Julie and Michael that working out. No, I would rather she just be with Dorothy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, apparently I'm very into, you know... People having relationships with drag people, like just just stay in the drag because you're better that way, really. So you, you want Osgood and Daphne? To I want stay together, Osgood and Daphne not to stay Osgood together. No, I mean she gets diamond bracelets. Okay, you better put that wig on. Uh... It's, it's sorry, I'm jumping around, but it's funny how many of the exact same tropes we see in like both of these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, we get the proposal from the guy. Right. You know, the wedding proposal. We get the same kind of shenanigans of almost being caught in drag right. and all of that. It's There really is just a formula that just naturally happens. And they both things. end up working out perfectly fine, apparently. Mm-hmm. Except for Sandy. Poor Sandy. <laughs> Poor Sandy's. <laughs> well, she gets to be in the play about the love canal. Which sounds so terrible. So that's her consolation prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sounds terrible. Okay, sorry. You were talking about performances. Yes. Right. I mean, Jessica Lange is great. And Terry Gar, you know, that wasn't... The best character for her to play, but I think she played the hell out of it. And she no, totally she went was for brilliant. It. Yeah, Terry she totally Gar was went brilliant. And I actually liked Bill Murray, his little parts, <laughs> which was apparently all improvised. Of course, it was all the Bill Murray. Like I love was. those scenes of him just sitting at the table talking shit about pontificating writing, just bullshit, about writing. Yeah. <laughs> just, bullshit. just total pretentious, weird bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I enjoyed Bill Murray a lot, actually. Um, yeah. I mean, Charles Durning was great, but he's always great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was a really well done film. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody, you know, sucked or anything. <laughs> Gina Davis didn't have shit to do, but no, you know, other than you know, not eat or whatever she had to do to <laughs> Jesus. Men also seem to think that we fight a lot while we shop. Well, yes, that we fight over purses or we fight over sales and things. I've never. This is what men think. Men think we pillow fight a lot more than yes, we do. Absolutely. I have literally never been in a pillow no. fight every in our time, underwear. Every time yes. there are three or more women sleeping in the same house, We're you in guys our underwear. have a pillow fight in your underwear. In our, right. We know this. No, it doesn't happen. It's never happened. Unless I just don't get invited to those parties, which is um, possible. What else do we know? We know that you... Bitches be shopping. Never wear clothes in the locker room. You you just walk around naked in the no, locker room all the time. Locker rooms are gross. Put your clothes on. Posing. Get the hell out seductively no um and then yes you throwing tampons at the person that's having the period (laughs) in the shower and then you have cat fights when you're shopping for purses i have not experienced any of those things well apparently you're a bad woman maybe i'm yeah maybe i'm the the wrong kind of woman Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i need a man dressed as a woman to teach me how to be a woman okay if that's what i have to do okay if you can get that dress that Marilyn wears, I'd appreciate it. 
I, I that's just not going to fit me the same way. I got to be honest with you right now. I don't want you to get your hopes up. Okay, well, let's talk about these two movies together. Okay. So here's my question. Sure. Who wore it better? I mean, I will say Dustin Hoffman did not make a terrible looking woman. Okay. I mean, the wig was slightly better than the Some Like It Hot guys. And I think the glasses helped. Like, he could reasonably be a woman, I think. So you didn't you didn't look at him as you did the other two I and didn't. say, how can anybody believe that this I is didn't. actually... No. There are stories of him, like, wearing this outfit and testing it out on various people. And did it work? That he, like, went to his kid's PTA meeting or something as, as Aunt Dorothy and that he... <laughs> There's a story about him hitting on Jose Ferrar in an elevator. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he was pretty convincing. Yeah, so I think I, I, I just bought him more as a sort of quote-unquote passable woman. Okay, so what did we learn from these two movies? <laughs> that men don't know shit <laughs> about being a woman. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> um... What did we learn? I'm not sure that they learned anything. I would argue that Josephine and Daphne learned more than Dorothy did. I think they came out slightly more progressive and... Well, you, well then, oh, no, wait a minute, because you just named all three of the women, the female personas. So you mean Joe, Jerry... Right, I couldn't remember their male names because okay. I don't give a shit about their males personas. Um, Joe, Jerry, and Michael. Right, Joe, Jerry, and Michael. Mm -hmm. I think Joe and Jerry, I think, had more of a sort of arc than Michael did. Really? I think so. I'm not convinced that Michael is going to change a whole lot. Whereas... How, how much of that is Dustin Hoffman overlap and how much of it is... Within the film. That's fair. Maybe. But, I mean, Jerry was willing to marry... I mean, he was going to marry Osgood. He's probably going to marry Osgood. <laughs> that's... that's You're a, right. That is an arc. That's a pretty far arc there. Yeah. That's 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 impressive. Yeah. So, so if Dorothy had married less... <laughs> she didn't... Yeah. If she had gone ahead and married less... And married less. And been Julie's stepmother... <laughs> That just would have been weird. That would have been a happy family Yeah, no, that would not have been a happy family. That would have been bad. <laughs> That's a Jerry Springer episode waiting to happen there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just didn't like Michael. And I actually liked Jerry and Joe. Mm -hmm. So that may be part of it. I didn't like Michael's character at all. Yeah, I think that's... I mean, we also just saw more of him... Right. ...being an asshole... Right. ...throughout the entire movie. Right. So. Well, what I learned from this is that... The path to becoming a better man goes through drag. I think that's fair. I think that is very... I think every boy should have to do drag. Like, you just have to do, like, a drag boot camp or something and <laughs> learn some things about yourself. Come out on the other side slightly better. Okay. Well, we're going to need to make some alterations to some of your... Well, you don't know, fuck up my clothes. No. I, I would like to borrow the, the Alexander Wang skirt. You cannot have the Alexander. I can barely fit into the Alexander Wang skirt anymore. You definitely can't fit into it. So, no. You're not wrong, <laughs> but I feel like the definitely was, that was unnecessary. Well, I feel like that it was, was just though, a little twist of the knife there. I feel like it was, it was. The way you hit that, definitely. It's very important that you realize that if I can barely zip it up. You definitely can't zip it up. 
So, and I just know, th- this is the thing. I want you to look your best, and I want you to wear clothes that flatter your body. As Stacey and Clinton were famous for saying, you know, dress the body that you have, not the body that you want. Because it's so important, as Dustin says, for a woman to be pretty. It's not important to be pretty. It's important to, you know, be happy with the way that you look, to love yourself and your clothes. And I think that that's easier to do when you don't look like a stuffed sausage. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen for me. <laughs> you have great legs. <laughs> I, I think you could totally, if you put on some heels... You would have some awesome legs. You have great legs. Some size 13 Some size heels. 13 heels. Mm-hmm. I think you could totally make it work. As Bill Murray says in Tootsie, I think we're getting into a weird area here. I think we're getting into a fruitful area that we should explore more. And I look forward to your first story of being on the train and some gentleman wanting to show you his penis. <laughs> it's the true... <laughs> you become a woman when a man says, hey, you want to see this picture of my penis? <laughs> Because the girls that have dated me in the past said it was too big. And could you tell me if you think it's too big? Dudes, what the fuck is that? Can I just, what the fuck? He literally said, I've dated women and they've all said that my penis is too big. And I'm brokenhearted about it because I can't keep a girlfriend. Can you please look at this and tell me if you think it's too big? Who said this to you? Some dude on a fucking red line. Do you really think... That that's going to work. Oh, you poor thing. They broke up with you because your dick was too big. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, let I, me go ahead and see that and check. I don't know what the rate of return on that strategy would be. It can't be. Well, he followed me off the train. See, that's where he, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So once you've experienced that, you know what it is to walk in the shoes of a woman. That's the shit we have to deal with. I'm not waiting by the phone for some dude to call. I'm hoping you don't follow me off the fucking train. That's what my experience is. Well, so now Dustin Hoffman understands all of that. Except that he doesn't. Because he got cute grandpa raped, barely. I'm like, no, that's not... Mm-mm. No. It's usually not that cute. It's not that nice, really. Is is, is that a legal designation? <laughs> yes. Statutory rape. rape. Cute grandpa rape. <laughs> that's a problem. We should not put that in there. <laughs> I think we he might... He was wearing an ascot. Are you really... Like, really... You were terrified? Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. He's saying show tunes outside <laughs> your window. How scared can you really be of this guy? That's all I'm saying. I think we better be done. <laughs> I think we need to wrap this up. I've come out a worse woman after this experience is what I'm saying. That's that's was my takeaway. Okay, so before we go, I wanted on the record, you actually enjoyed both of these movies. I did. These were not bad films. Okay. Yes. So maybe the secret is we should just watch more. Drag movies, More yes. drag. Okay, so I'm going to queue up uh, Nuns on the Run. <laughs> and I think there's a Rodney Dangerfield one I called Ladybugs. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that at all. I Rich. thought it felt like he teaches a soccer team or something. Yeah, but I think it's a boy on a girl's soccer team that... Oh, dear. So this is a rich cinematic vein for us to mine in future episodes. Okay. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Tuck it and fuck it. (laughs) And what the fuck now? (laughs) I've been talking too much. (laughs) (laughs) I think when we do two movies, you get a little punchy towards the end. Which is good to know. We will do this more often. No, this is the last double feature that we will be doing. 
I spent like eight hours listening to white men talk about what it's like to be a woman. I'm done. I'm tapping out. I'm over it. Over it. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next week for our Valentine's Day show as we introduce Nakia to one of the great love stories of all time, Pride and Prejudice. I hate Smash Face. I don't want to watch Smash Face. Please don't make me watch Smash Face. Let me decipher that for you. (laughs) Smash Face (laughs) is what Nakia calls Kira Knightley. We will be watching the 2005 version, probably controversially. I know the miniseries is better. Whatever. I'd shit on both of them, so it doesn't really matter. Well, if you would like to watch the five and a half hour miniseries... Okay, that's no, what I figured. That's five hours of heaving bosoms and fucking walking on moors and bullshit. Like, I don't want to fucking do this. That's too much. No. Some bullshit. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite app. And email us at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. As always, we encourage you to suggest yet another movie that Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until then, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. True love is finding your drag partner and marrying them. That's true love. Good luck with that. If you want to see a really horrifying portrayal of women through the eyes of men, there is a just appalling video <laughs> that surfaced last year of some kind of roast of New York celebrities in which Rudy Giuliani dresses up as a woman and Donald Trump ends up motorboating him. That was pretty much the end of any sex drive that I have. <laughs> was watching that film. It's two titans of industry. Two powerhouses of American politics right there. Like, my sexual organs literally crawled up inside my body Mm -hmm. and have not been seen since. Mm -hmm. You're like the dude, what's his name, from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Kind of just tucks it in there. (laughs) It's just Okay, well that gets us into a whole other... That's a whole other portrayal portrayal. (laughs) That's the transgender characters as serial killers, which we could do an entire episode on. That's a whole other troubling arena that I was deliberately trying to stay away from for this episode. (laughs) We got Psycho dressed to kill. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many of those. It's, yeah. It's a problem.